0: Astrodial Illusions. Uh, we have a guest who I'm very excited uh, to have on. We have uh, you. You may know her from Twitter. Uh, she's also a pie baking extraordinaire. But first and foremost, at least I think she would be first and foremost a film director. Uh, we have the great Jessica Ellis. Uh, Jessica, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Hi, hi, I am so excited to get to talk to you today. Um, Yeah, I am, I would say in that order, a a filmmaker, um, really more of a screenwriter than a director, although that may be changing now. Um, And yes, constantly on Twitter, and frequently giving away pie.
0: Yes, uh, Jessica does, uh, on, on around Thanksgiving, uh, does a big pie. You're, you're such a generous person with your time on Twitter and stuff. That's uh, how we met. Uh, you have a film called What Lies West, which I've seen, and it's excellent, and it comes out on May 11th. So if you're listening to this of Release Week, it will be out on May 11th, and if you're one of those people who goes two years later and scrolls through our back catalog, uh, it will have been already out, and you should check it out. So uh, <laughs> Jessica, do you want to tell us a little bit about, uh, a little bit about the film?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So What Lies West is a coming-of-age adventure film about a college graduate uh, who kind of desperately needs a job over the summer and takes one babysitting a very sheltered teenager with a very anxious single mom. Um, and they have very different personalities and sort of as they they bond, they start going on hikes together, uh, finally culminating in a somewhat secret hike to across California to the Pacific Ocean.
0: And the film is uh, shot in your uh, local uh, home county, Sonoma County, which uh, kind of plays a huge role in the movie. And it's before I before I'd uh, before I'd seen your film, I'd heard I had a friend in uh, grad school who's from there, and we just talk nonstop about it. And I know it's beautiful, but there is like a certain sense of people who are from there just really, really, really love it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's, there's not a whole lot to do up there, especially as a kid. It's a very like kind of now it's a very wine oriented area. You know, you got the, the Napa and Sonoma wine country, um, except be outside. And the outside is this kind of wonderful, Oakland, like wilderness that you kind of are expecting a, an elf to pop out of at any minute and ask you on an adventure. So <laughs> it's a very magical place to grow up.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's something you convey really well in the film. And the film is, uh, it would be fair to say, it's kind of a a coming of age story. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, well, in the in the days since I've seen it, I've thought a lot about uh, the the film, The Graduate, which uh, focuses on on you know Dustin Hoffman's character is around the same age as your lead uh, Nicolette, who is uh, out of college, has has dreams and ambitions, but doesn't is, is kind of struggling with, uh, you know, with the, the, where do I go from here the why?
1: Right. And I, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I, I think something that you do really well is, you know, the, the graduate is a really timeless film and all of that. I don't think it has a lot of like practice. I don't think it really resonates all that well in terms of, uh, you know, people, millennials who came of age at a time when, you know, you could, you could be aimless and want to lay in your dad's pool all, uh, all summer and that can be fine. And, you know, you're come, come September, you can go like look for jobs, but uh, people who have grown up more recently, a lot of times that's really kind of a variation of lounging around is all you can do. Cause if you want to go get a job, well, tough shit. We've, you know, we had the fiscal crisis and now we're in the middle of COVID. So. Uh...
1: Yeah, it's, it's very different. And and it's a very lost time when you come out of the school system. Finally. I mean, you've spent 16 years, at least getting an education and and then you're just kind of let loose on the world and i remember that feeling like a very lost time a, a really confusing time i think getting out of college is the new getting out of high school
0: yeah i mean it's it's kind of you you know and there are scenes in the film uh, you, uh m- much of the film is uh Really, uh, uh between uh, Nicolette and Chloe, the two main characters interacting, and there's a uh, scene where they're eating, and Chloe just kind of looks at at Nicolette and is saying, "You know, are, you know, you're a grown up," and she's like, "Well, no, 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 no," <laughs> and I was just sitting there like laughing, like. Yeah, you know, back in the day, uh, 22, 23 year olds would uh, either have kids or be thinking about kids. And now it's like, no, 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 I'm firmly entrenched in. I'm still a kid.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think because you've been in a world where you're still not really making your own decisions for so long, if you go the college route, your your life is kind of still planned out for you. And I think especially now, um, you know, the later millennials and and the early Gen Z kids have a, their lives very, very scheduled for them, um, from the time that they're young. And I think you can definitely still come out of college and feel like I, I don't know how to operate in a world where people are not telling me where I'm supposed to be every 10 minutes. Uh, and that can be very
0: confusing. Yeah. The commodity, uh, commoditization of time and yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. it it's. I was watching, I forget what, it was some sort of show recently. Uh, They were joking, a person was pregnant and they're already behind on uh, getting the fetuses' college applications ready. Yeah. Like, like people fighting over preschool, all of that. It's like, when does a kid get to be a kid? And, I mean, you've got the, the, your film takes place over uh, a a summer. And I was thinking about how, like, I, uh, I guess I was, I was, it's so pathetic. I, I was using to to mark sort of the generation. I was a June. It was the summer of my junior going into senior year when the iPhone came out. Okay. And I'm thinking about how technology and Snapchat and Instagram and all of that has uh, not totally transformed. Like a uh, part of the beauty of this film, I think, will resonate to a lot of people who are stuck in COVID and haven't gotten to go out and just kind of do normal things. Is the sense that you've got kids in a summer who have like nothing to do and they've got no one else but each other and i feel like that's kind of something in in today's day and age is you know you 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 don't have to be really stuck in uh you know the woods anymore you can go look at tiktok for three hours and it's weird I you know it's not like old man yells a cloud type situation but it's it's definitely it, it it's it's different i'm not sure it's totally healthy
1: yeah, I'm not either. And, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to contrast these characters so strongly is that Nicolette, is who is who's the older character, she's just out of college, she's very social media minded on Instagram, trying to be like, that's her whole plan is reliant on social media for how she's going to transition into jobs and stuff. And Chloe is uh, adamantly an analog kid. Um, and I think that's a really interesting and unusual character these days. It's almost like I've transported a kid from my generation. Cause I was in high school in the, in the late nineties, I graduated in 2000, you know, and, uh, we were just getting cell phones <laughs> at, at that point, um, so I, I thought it was nice to con. I think there are still people that are raised to be anti-technology, and and not or not anti-technology, but just don't get into the social media thing. And those are really interesting people because we know so much less about them now because everybody else is just talking about themselves on on Instagram and on Twitter all the time, <laughs> including me.
0: <laughs> well, to be like a to be a teenager now, you've got all your the natural insecurities, and then you've got on top of it like a um like a Foucauldian uh, panopticon of, of so- like in social media can be everybody's worst enemy because, you know, you can have a post that doesn't get that many likes, but you can still think that there's thousands of people who are, you know, secretly watching you and it doesn't really necessarily matter if that's true or not because it's the perception of that's true. And that's still very terrifying.
1: Absolutely. And and I thought that was, I mean, I, I it never is expressly said, but like we set Chloe's mother up as such a deeply anxious um, person you can definitely see her as the kind of parent that would be like no screen time no you know it's going to give you brain cancer no you know no social media till you're 18 like somebody that would be very harsh on that stuff simply because she's overly anxious about about the consequences of social media which are real things they're not imaginary social media can be dangerous
0: well, it's very interesting to hear the way you're talking about all all of this because what's really impressive about what lies west is it feels like a film that's very timely. It's probably I mean this was filmed before COVID. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I've known you since before COVID. I knew it. I knew it had been filmed. So I, I was pretty sure it. It's one of those films that like having been just been through a pandemic I I think it's probably more timely you know that's obviously you know yeah not knowing what was going to happen the world changes at Sundance we had there was a film that came out that uh was about people who a a giant pink cloud had forced everybody to live inside and it was all social distancing and it was entirely filmed before the pandemic oh that's funny well you feel like so bad for the filmmaker and it's like Okay, this film is now judged by every single critic on its merits to COVID. And actually it did pretty well on that front. But um as it relates to to what lies west, you know, this is to hear to hear that you made this film as a director who has been out of high school for a while and yet still really understands what it what it means to be a kid. Like my sister's a sophomore in, in high at in, not in high school, she's in college. Uh I feel really old. I wish she was still in high school. Uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. Chloe is now twenty
1: one and it's freaking me out. <laughs>
0: You know, I was also, I was also thinking about that from the sense of, you know, you used an actual, I, I have this in my notes to talk about later, but we, we can talk about it now. You, you used an actual high schooler to film a high school. That's a very radical uh, premise for a lot of, a lot of productions.
1: Isn't that ridiculous that that's a radical premise? And I mean, I understand it from a production standpoint, because when you're using a minor, obviously you have to abide by, uh, you know, the rules on how long they can work and have studio teachers and stuff. And that's, that's a lot of money and, and, time budgeting on a on a small project like this but i i am so tired of seeing 25 year old 16 year olds it it distorts our concept of what kids are and what they're capable of i i think in some really uh bad ways so it was because we were going for a naturalistic field to begin with and because we also just really wanted to work with with chloe moore the actress um you know it it never crossed my mind to cast her as, as an adult playing a teenager. I wanted somebody that felt very authentic to the age.
0: Well, yeah, because like even if even if you accept that a 25-year-old probably doesn't have their shit together either, a twenty-five-year-old sure. has a lot of perspectives on what it was like to be seventeen that a seventeen I, I don't know Chloe's actual age, but um She was uh, sixteen
1: when we were shooting this. They were both the ages they were cast as. Maybe Nicolette was a year or two older, but it was close.
0: Yeah, so we're we're dealing with like the phenomenon of people don't know what they don't know, and then they know what they don't know. I feel like if you're a little bit older, you 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 have like completely different perspective versus a 16 year old. I'm thinking of there was a point where uh, my sister, when she was in high school, was really upset over a guy and i think she was probably a junior and if she's listening she's gonna be upset that i'm talking about this but uh other (laughs) listeners um, (laughs) she uh she was like this is supposed to be like the best years of my life and i'm like girl
1: No. Yeah, that is something the CW has sold you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is like this. Honestly, should probably go down as like the worst years of your life. And maybe a parent who had to change your diaper would would maybe feel a little bit different and say like maybe two years old was worse than this. But yeah, it's supposed to be pretty bad. I mean, I think the
1: problem we get so caught up as filmmakers in making dramatic you know, narratives, which of course you understand the instinct, you want things to be interesting. That I think particularly with with films and TV made for teenagers, we get away from what their actual experiences. I mean, like very few teenagers have had a murder at their school. And it seems to be a thing of every teen show that's on is that there's constant, there's constant like HBO level drama. And at least my high school experience, there was lots of drama, but there were there were no serial killers, uh, you know, stalking our cheerleaders or anything like that. I don't think that's relevant to most actual teenagers' lives, and I think it it's weird to continually feed them a diet of that and not give them any alternative of like, hey, here's a thing you might directly relate to because it literally could have happened to you
0: yeah that's I, I I couldn't agree more. There's too much of uh, you know drugs in the psychedelic, like people using the uh, what they call it like the the bisexual lighting on oh,
1: yeah, like everyone's that. having orgies <laughs> and like cocktails. and it was like, i I know I went to high school a while ago, but like you were lucky if you got some cheap beer and a you know (laughs) like horrible malt liquor cocktails that you stole from someone's older sibling like we were not sitting around drinking martinis like we were in gossip girl that did not happen
0: well as it relates to chloe i mean you did a really good job kind of balancing uh as a character she's got kind of a a a sense of maturity but she's also like very uh determined and and kind of has a has a level of 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 self-awareness that that you know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of high schoolers. You know, you, you, you see, I always like to kind of believe the kids are smarter than the world gives them credit for. And you you see a lot of that in Chloe and you still see somebody who is try, trying to grow and not necessarily be a total know-it-all at that age, which plenty of people are.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I certainly was. Yeah, a lot of Chloe's character, Um, I I have known both of these actresses since they were born. And when when the actual Chloe, when Chloe Moore was really young um certainly not now she had this like very self-assured um not defensive but like very passionately concerned about things she cared about. She was obsessed with like cheetahs as a little kid. And if you mentioned cheetahs in a derogatory way at all, you were going to get <laughs> full Chloe fire. And she absolutely grew out of that and is, is not at all like that now. She's one of the politest people on the planet. But I loved that trade in her as a kid. And I loved the idea of like, well, what would a teenager be who is not arrogant about what she believes, but like, very sure about it and not willing to entertain your bullshit on it.
0: Well, I mean, that's kind of something we're, we're, we're dealing with now in the, um, you know, I see, I get all these, uh, press emails for LGBTQ, uh, topics, but, um, you see a lot of times like polls that suggest that kids are way, I mean, they're way more tolerant of that. And, uh, more aware of of racial issues and all sorts of stuff than their parents and, you know, you, you get the parent who's like, well, you'll grow out of this when you get older. And it's like, no, I'm not gonna be like a jaded asshole like you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's something that endures across the generations, is, is the
1: the feeling of I, I am I absolutely refuse to be like you <laughs> no matter
0: what. <laughs> Another thing I really liked about the film, uh, it, it is an indie production in in the true sense of the term, and I, I sort of I mean to differentiate that from. Uh, this is an independent production. It is not a vessel for an actor who's known primarily for comedy or something to try and get an award by doing a more dramatic role. I think indie has kind of often kind of become that term a lot lately. Um, I'm thinking of Garden State. I should just come out and say it. That oh yeah,
1: I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot, of, and yeah, no, this is definitely not a, <laughs> you know, five million dollar indie. This is a crowdfunded and my savings indie. <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very very low budget film.
0: Well, I mean, against a critic, I think about like so, sometimes you know if I put together a string of of bad reviews or something, I'll get an email from somebody who. Probably thinks about this stuff way too much, but they'll say like, you know, you're impossible to please. Stop reviewing these types of films. And it's like I, I think I'm actually the easiest person in the world to please because there's really there's two things I want out of a film. You can fight me on this, but I don't think they're that hard. I want competent actors. I don't think those are either expensive or, uh, you know, I don't think that's there's a lot of actors and I uh, and I want a, I want a screenplay that doesn't like really suck like. um... <laughs> People were really angry at me over the Godzilla vs. Kong came out. I'm like, this is a... W- screenplay is the worst thing ever. Come cost 200 million, and that, this is the script you put through? Like, give me a fucking break. Um, so i don't I, I don't need like something that has like a big budget I want something that's very character driven you know you spend you spend 80 your your movie has about an 80 minute runtime yeah this is really the time this is all you get in terms of these people's lives most likely unless you're gonna try and turn this into like a cinematic universe or something but <laughs> no. Most, well, no most films that's it you you know you get you get this slice of this person's life and you sit down and you're told a story that um you know, it's supposed to have an impact either on the characters or yourself, and then that—that's—that's that's kind of it. And I think you know the screenplay has to be the most important thing in the world.
1: I I agree. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on the on the two things you say required, and and also for me, there's a third one, which is that I get really annoyed when production choices do not match or not of a piece with the story being told. You know, um, when like, if the cinematography or the, the editing style is like, if we had gone like a super stylistic direction with the cinematography or the editing in this, where there's all sorts of weird angles and weird cuts and, and, and you know... Bisexual lighting, as you said, which I love, but like it wouldn't have fit. And you see a lot of movies where it's like, oh, you're trying to be cool with the production. You're not trying to be accurate to the story you're telling. You're trying to look cool. And that drives me up the wall, too. So I tried very hard to avoid that.
0: Well, as you describe on, uh, I, I checked out the, a link to it, the What Lies West, uh, I think it's whatlieswest.com, your, your yeah. website, but uh, you, you said that kind of, you, you treated Sonoma County as, as a character in its own right.
1: Absolutely. It was really important to me having grown up there. You know, it's a popular shooting location. You know, Hitchcock shot there, uh, Coppola has shot there. They, there's movies shot there all the time. And I grew up watching all those movies because you're excited that they're in your hometown. Um, and none of them looked like Sonoma County to me. None of them caught uh, what is magical about that landscape. And none of them really were made by locals who knew where to go, who knew the trails that locals walk on and who knew, you know, the places to see the, the best sunset in the, in the County. And so I thought that was a, a, a critical perspective I could bring to it that I hadn't seen in these movies made by, you know, people far, far out of my league, <laughs> but I had this little advantage.
0: Well, that kind of goes back to the cinematography. Cause like you could, you could try really, really hard to dress up something like uh, Sonoma County but would it look better than if you uh went went you know in the the approach that that you did with a more natural sense and, and and showcasing the raw beauty and I I think what what you did is um really a a great approach because you you know you're 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 trusting your audience to understand you know you're communicating the beauty but you're, you're putting more faith in them. You're not trying to ram down somebody's throat like, look at how pretty this shot is. Like, yeah. Here you go. I want to be on one perfect shot. Like, oh, my God. And I I think the as a complete picture, that, that approach works pretty well. Yeah, I hope so.
1: Uh, it's one of the, you know, as a filmmaker, you're always going to have like things where like, well, will people get this? Um, And, and that was one of my questions is, you know, the style right now, it seems in independent film is very high contrast, very stylistic, a lot of shallow depth of field separation of characters from their background, and we went the totally opposite direction, not to be contrary, but because it was so key to the story, that the background environment be constantly a felt an effect that you feel and that the characters feel so that you are out in the woods with them. Um, And uh, it's a risk because people can look at that and be like, well, that doesn't look like a modern film. That looks like they didn't know what they were. We just look like we're outside. It doesn't look cool. And, you know, and uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know how people are going to react to that. It's going to It's one of my big fears.
0: (laughs) Well, it's it, it's an important sort of narrative contrast, too, because you have, you know, Nicolette wants to uh, be an actress. She wants to have this following and all of that. And she's, she's doing all of this from a setting that's very almost, like, calming and serene and all of that, and she's trying to kind of uh, almost sort of make, no- not literal noise, but uh, figurative noise on, on social media, and I... I I think for a lot of people, like, going out in the woods, going for a walk, like, is very uh, uh, comforting and all of that. And then, I mean, I do this all the time, like, when I want to go for a walk, and then I find myself, I wanted to go outside and relax and get a break from technology, and I'm walking around, I'm playing Pokemon Go. and it's
1: Exactly. Like, it's just, it's just yeah. Exactly. And and I think that was, again, this is not something that gets ever talked about directly in the film, but Nicolette is a person who lives in her phone. And I. there is never a scene where the phone is not in her hand or right next to her. And I relate to that because that's how I am. But I do know that that takes you out of your world. You are not a part of the natural ecosystem when you are on your phone at all times. It's only when you actually get away with it, that you can see yourself as part of the uh, real environment, as a part, as opposed to the the internet environment, which is a totally different world, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, that made me think a lot about. We had uh, Douglas Goldstein, who is the showrunner on Robot Chicken, and created the show Devil May Care. He was on, I want to say. F- I can't remember if it's on January or February. But um, he was talking about how their writer's room has to write comedy with the perception in mind, knowledge of knowing that their audience is, you know, you're competing between the film and then your phone. And, I mean, if that's not the best case for why we need to bring theaters back where you're not – I mean, some people still do that. Disney, yeah? But yeah, I I, I I heard that, and I'm like, this is, like, the most depressing thing a filmmaker has ever said on the show. And thankfully, we don't have a lot to compete with, but it was it was a Disney.
1: It, it It's tough. It's a tough reality. And, and, you know, it's kind of exciting. I don't want to be a downer about technology. I don't know what we're evolving into as these creatures that live in two worlds now. Uh, it could be good. It could be really cool. But certainly right now when you're dealing with trying to make stuff in an existing medium for people that now experience the world in a totally different way. Uh, where they're often on two or three forms of technology at once, trying to absorb everything, uh, it's it's daunting. And and the only thing I could think to do is just like I'm just going to make a movie the way I think I know how to make a movie, and hopefully people put down their phones for 80 minutes and pay attention.
0: I mean, did you did you take in a lot into consideration? You know, making a movie about young people trying to like think about how, I guess the word I'm looking for is like chaotic or, or frenzied people. Like I remember a couple of years ago, you used to be able to get away with like saying when I would start a TV show watching with somebody like, okay, phones away. Now I feel like, like, you know, you, you, you look, you look like kind of like a Scrooge when you just sort of rail on that for too long. Now I look like the villain.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it was definitely, um, you know, it was something we really wanted to be the whole background of, of Nicolette's, Some of her issues in the world is that she is so concerned with her persona online and her persona and being liked by everybody because the threat of being online is that you'll get, you'll say something stupid and get dogpiled and suddenly everyone hates you and whatever like that. That's a real fear people have, you know, and, and putting her with someone who does not care about that at all is not remotely interested in that world, um, I thought it was an interesting way to talk about the issue without talking about the issue, which was kind of my goal with that that whole thematic element.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because we're kind of heading into the era of of like self cancelizations, where people have like said something, they get like a kind of muted reaction, and then the next thing you know, their social media is deleted, and they've put out a big long video about how they've been canceled that gets hundreds of thousands of views, and you're looking at it being like. Okay, I mean, is 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 this this where we're at with the discourse? Yeah, it's 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 kind of a mess. But um, one thing I really liked about the way that you wrote this screenplay, I you know, I, I in my notes I have written, don't say subversive because I think it's <laughs> an overused term. Uh, it, it is becoming an overused term. But um, you you kind of tackle the power dynamic in a in a unique way. And there's a there's an interaction with Nicolette and a, a male character and. You almost, like, like from an audience perspective of somebody who's just, like, you know, living in the world and is used to, like, kind of engaging in this kind of stuff, you almost expect that there's, like, a Me Too plot line that's going to, like, come, come around and there's going to be, like, a, a sexual tension to that. And you don't you don't go in that direction, which I think is, like, very refreshing. I think, you know, we, we, we take all of our preconceived notions when we sit down before a film and the, the ones that stand out are the directors who maybe see that coming themselves and uh, want to surprise everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was written before Me Too really got going. Um, I wrote the screenplay in early 2017. So maybe it was kind of simultaneous with Me Too get going. But like for me, the the kind of uh, I guess I'd call it an anti-romantic subplot um with Nicolette having this ex-boyfriend who's hanging around was just much more about the ways uh, you can derail yourself, you you know, when you have goals, like the things that are maybe flattering and attractive, but actually take you farther away from what you want. And part of growing up is recognizing what those things are. And it's really hard. Um, so I wanted to give her a guy that was definitely the audience is like, Oh, I fuck this guy. I I hate this person. But that's because we all have had experiences with that particular type of guy. And, uh, you know, we, we recognize that one, because that is a lesson that was hard learned for us in many circumstances. Um, And so I wanted to give her that, you know, particularly as as a sign of somebody that like, is she going to grow enough in this movie to realize this guy is bad news and, and be done with that section of her life? Or is she not? I think that's an important decision point for her in this.
0: Well, the way you the way you told all of that, really, it hit very close to home. I, I always, like when I talk about, I, I will be 30 in July, so in a few months. And um, when I look back at like the past 10 years, I think about, the year I got out of college was, like, the worst year of my life because I, I was constantly having to, like, go and network with people who, who are kind of like that, who you, you hate, and you, you want to tell them to fuck off, but in the off chance that they may be helpful to you and they may not be completely full of shit – you don't want to do it, but internally you're like, God, this guy's such a slime bag. I'm so sick of this guy.
1: Yeah, and it's it's difficult now in the post me too kind of era to talk about, like, there are guys that are not, well, and I'm sure there are women too, but there are mostly guys who are not actively abusive, um, but are manipulative. Yeah, uh, to- and that can be really, psychologically, that can mess you up, for sure.
0: Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're toying with you and they know that you're in, like, this... I mean, I just keep thinking about, uh, you know, I, when 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 kids are graduating, you know, it's like common to say congratulations, but like from having just recent, not 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 too distant, not that old, uh, <laughs> you almost want to like say to them. You don't want to congratulate them. You want to say like my condolences. Like they're going to tell you at <laughs> commencement to go set the world ablaze. Yeah, see how long that fire lasts. <laughs> yeah, look out. Now now the real shit starts. You have finished boot camp. <laughs>
1: yeah, it it's difficult. And and you know, and it's that is another era I don't feel like we talk about very much is is this time of just coming out of college. And being kind of dropped on your head into the... Because college doesn't prepare you for the adult world. It really doesn't. Especially if you're something like a theater major and, you know, a a major that does not lead directly into an exact career path. Like, you are going to be lost. And in this era of type A productivity that's even scarier than it used to be when kids could kind of, you know, drift and go to Europe or what. Like I spent like 3 years in community college just dicking around trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And if I suggested that path to any of my nieces and nephews that are college age, they would have heart attacks.
0: Yeah, I think the the era of the gap year. Well, I was constantly my sister just went uh, back to school in Scotland. Uh, she goes to St. Andrews. And I kept saying to her, like, you have four years at one of the most beautiful colleges, universities in the world. Take a gap year. Do not go back during COVID. Fuck this. Um, but this, that's... no. Okay, people don't do that. People don't... People, like... We're 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 living in an era now where if you're not doing something in your free time that can be commoditized, and if you can't like do something with it, like I, I read a I read a shit ton of comic books, and people say like, oh, do you want to write comic books? And it's like, no, I have so many as a creative, I have so many places where I should end eat that that'll be one where I will just eat. I won't take any shits there. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 important and. Just, just the idea that you can have a summer where you, uh, you know, Nicolette drives up and uh, doesn't know what they're doing that day. Like, isn't isn't that such sort a of novel thing that we've been without for so long in COVID?
1: Yeah, it's yeah. I I think it, it's so interesting having COVID come into the middle of this. I mean, obviously, I'm not happy about it, but but having a show about time where you're just stuck. And you don't really have any, you're not going to summer camp. You're not going to swim class. You're not taking summer courses to get your AP credit. Like none of that is there. Like what would you do? I I was talking with someone else about how like school films about teenagehood are about social development, but summer films, films like The Way, Way Back and Stand By Me and stuff like that. Are yep. about personal development. They're about who you are when you don't have your peer group looking at you and how you grow on your own. Um, and I think those summers are under threat, man, for kids. Like they're they're so scheduled, they never get a time where they're just like, well, what do I want to do today? Like what what do I want to read about this summer? Like, and those were critical to me growing up. They were. The thing you looked forward to was the time you didn't have to worry about, am I wearing the right clothes or does my math teacher hate me? You know,
0: I know we're both big fans of dirty dancing and I, that that was just coming, coming, coming to me. That
1: Absolutely. Is, uh, yeah. Dirty dancing yeah. is another one. I mean, that is, it. that's totally a thing where it's like, who is this girl when she's not at school? What can she find when, she, when you're in a different environment?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just, like, I, I would think about all the stupid shit we would do as, as lifeguards uh, all the time. Hang out with people that you, like, nowadays would never, like, think you'd want to hang out with because you could just, you know, it's everybody has so much access to everybody else. And now, like, a kid, like, a, a freshman coming out of college is looking for an internship. And it's like, that internship is not going to help you at all. Go 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 go! Have fun. I do for for listeners. I do want to make a note. I know that a lot in the beginning of COVID, I was very worried that uh, this show would crater, that people would not listen to us after uh, after losing the ability to commute. Although I guess some people still do. I do have to single out Jessica as one of the few uh, big Twitter personalities I follow who takes COVID very seriously. And I know <laughs> that a lot of a lot of a lot of you guys have have jumped jumped on ship and said that the show is, is, uh, comforting for you guys in, in, uh, you know, a lot of people are alone a lot of the time. Jessica takes COVID very seriously and she deserves a lot of credit for that.
1: Thank you. Yes. No, I, you know, both, uh, because I am a high risk person, uh, and because I have a, a natural tendency towards health related anxiety. Um, it was very clear to me immediately that like I needed to be the safest person in the world. So like I have not, I, for a year, I only have left my house for doctor's appointments and only then very, very rarely. I cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to going to the dentist now that I'm vaccinated. Cause I would not even do that. Um, so yeah, it's been a weird year, but I'm alive at the end of it. And that wasn't a guarantee.
0: No, not at all. And I think we're getting in the era now where people are giving my partner and I shit for saying like, Nope, that, that gathering, I don't care. We just got our second shot last week. So another week before we're fully. It's like nope, we are not going to this thing. It is not safe. There's still a pandemic. So I think uh, as, as COVID fatigue settles in around the world, it is important to single out somebody who actually does deserve some credit. On
1: that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the the get uh, yelling at the get over it crowd is going to become my my new problem on Twitter because like already you're seeing people being like stop wearing masks in public if you're vaccinated. And it's like, you know what? People have been through a year of trauma. How about they deal with it however the hell they want to for a while? How about we not push people to be fixed immediately? Because that's repression. That's not actually processing the situation.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Another thing that you said on Twitter, which I think is very important uh, for a lot of creatives and kind of the people we're talking about who are, you know, all this constant commoditization, uh, it leads to burnout. Creatives, I mean, in COVID, you'd be burnt out for a lot of very natural reasons, but a lot of times people just push themselves so hard. And uh, last month you tweeted, um, it was a quote tweet. There was a meme of somebody who said, like, the idea of filmmaking, and it's somebody who's, like, really happy, and then you're, it was, like, filmmaking itself, and the person was sad. And you bring out, like, look, when, when you get to, like, actually make a film, you're the luckiest bastard in the world. This is kind of a paraphrase, so I think I'm describing the situation uh, very, uh, I'm trying to describe it. Well, it is so important to love the art of creating. Yeah. Uh,
1: I have never understood. And I mean, everybody has their own process and I'm not, I'm not judging that, but I have never understood the idea of doing a career that makes you miserable in the arts, you know, right. <laughs> in the arts. Like if you have to be a, you know, work at a, a meat processing plant, I understand that that sucks and you may need the money, but like why? why be an artist if it makes you miserable why would you do that you could do other things
0: yeah. The first time I got a freelance uh, check for, for an article, I looked at that and I'm like, w- wh- wh-? I was like, why would I write another manuscript when I can get paid for 800 words of this stuff? And it's like way more. And the answer is because you love it. That's what you have to do. But I think like uh, I, th- I feel like people force themselves not not to like dump on uh, the nat- Na- NaNoWriMo, the National Writing Month. Mm-hmm. But like this, the, the idea of binge writing to me is just so batshit crazy. Like, why force yourself to make this count? I know
1: there are some people that work great that way and and I've never been, I mean, I did not write uh, a script, a new script for all of 2020. I I did a lot of rewriting and I I got hired to write a couple novellas, but um, did not touch a screenplay for the entire year, a new one. And I had to be okay with that because it was clear that my brain was just not working in that direction. For me, it was a function of like, I don't know what the world is going to look like when this is over or when it will be over. So how can I write scripts for a world that I don't know exists yet? Um, and so I was totally shut down for a year. And, and for me, that's fine. Like, I know it's going to come back. I'm not worried about one day I'm going to work, wake up and not be able to write anything any, anymore. I've been doing this a while, but... I know for some people, like the idea of not writing every day or or going a month without a new thing is terrifying. Uh, I'm just not one of them
0: <laughs> it's it's i mean it's it's important for people to like allow themselves to to recharge and to not you know to take a breath. it's being a creative is is in a lot of ways the best thing in the world, and it is oh, there are a lot of days where it's the worst thing in the world, yeah. And- Love and passion have to kind of uh, help you buoy the, buoy the storm, and uh, yeah, that's, and it, it it comes across in in the film so much, uh, the way the way these characters are like grounded and not trying to like play to a stereotype. There was another, I was scrolling through Jessica's a very fun person to, to follow on Twitter. And I was looking through her tweets and I'm like, okay, you can't just, you know, this isn't going to be a show where you go through Jessica's greatest hits on a tweet. But one that really stuck out to me that kind of relates well to what lies West is, you know, you were talking, uh, you did a, a Dawson's Creek rewatch, which I had done a little bit of my partner made me stop. because <laughs> she hated, hated it. Um, and a lot of it hasn't, hasn't aged. All that, well, but I think about all the controversy I've, in other shows that we've had. I've talked about, you know, how big a shitstorm there was over like the first episode, talking like very coyly talking about masturbation, mm-hmm. Joey and Dawson having like a sleepover, and all of that. Your film, like, it, it's almost like it exists in—I don't want to say like post-controversy, but like it—it's it, not something that's ever trying to be like edgy for the sake of being edgy. But I also think that if you were to try to do that, a lot of people who try to do it go with like bisexual lightning, li- lighting, not lightning. <laughs> bisexual lightning is very exciting. That's a, that does sound exciting. But I feel like a lot of times it's like, oh, you want to be edgy? I've seen this before. Like, give me a break.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, this is going to sound pretentious as shit, so I apologize. <laughs> uh, I think my job as an artist is to put the most authentic to me perspective out there that I can. I don't know what else the job is unless to say, here is how I see things, see if you find that interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure what the other version of being an artist is. And I am not edgy. <laughs> I, I have never been edgy. I am a large marshmallow person. Um and if I tried one of my one of my dearest friends is is Ben David Grabinski, who just put out Happily, um, which is a great, great movie that is extremely cool and edgy. And I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, he's way cooler than I understood he was. Like, because this is him. Like, this is this is there's cool lighting and there's cool themes and and unresolved things. And and that's great. And I was like, I could never make that movie. Like, it's amazing. But I don't know how where would I pull that from? Because that's not in me at all. So, you know, maybe, I, I i don't know, an edgy person can make an edgy movie. Anyone else who tries it, it's just going to come off as try hard. And, and I knew that would, that would be a danger for me.
0: Yeah, I see that a lot in, in film, the people, you're just like, oh, this edgy twist, I saw it coming 20 minutes ago, nice yeah. job. Um, but I guess, I, you know, along the same lines, in terms of the coming of age genre When you're dealing with somebody who is uh, young like Nicolette or Chloe, there's the big, like, there's always the big issue of the sense that, yes, these people will, uh, they can have coming of age arcs and stuff, but nobody's life is going to be set at 23 or 22 or however old they are. It you know you you you've you've got to kind of set parameters that are uh, realistic and also like not not like I'm thinking of the the closing scene of the Breakfast Club. John Bender's got his fist in the air. His life is not set. Like you feel like very close. You you feel like you got a great sense of like closure and stuff. He's probably got a shit life ahead of him. Yeah,
1: I I don't think he and and Molly Ringwald are going to get married. You know that's that's not happening. Um, Yeah, I I think small changes are all we can hope for. Big changes don't really happen that often that that I've experienced. I mean, even when there are big events, the effect on who you are and the and the outcome of who you will be is typically fairly small. Like you can hope for a one-degree shift, a a twenty-degree shift. I don't know how you achieve that uh, in a, in an 80 minute movie. That's, that's an enormous change and it doesn't feel very realistic to how life works for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess in, in in the years since I've been in LA and interviewed a lot of uh, actors or filmmakers who have been at this for like a really long time, uh, you know, it's a constant, you see this at, at uh, uh, like fan conventions and comic cons and all of that kind of stuff. Like, there can be this perception with the audience that, okay, this thing happened. A plus B equals like, okay, life is all figured out now. And even people who do have success, you know, it, it's life. Life is a roller coaster. I mean, as Jared Leto said in the justice league uh, trailer, we live in a society.
1: We do live in a society. Yeah. And I mean, think of like all the action <laughs> movies where the crux is like a married couple that's having problems. And by the end, because they've, I don't know, jumped over a Canyon and defeated a big snake. Like, their marriage problems are solved. That's not realistic. It's a fun narrative, but it's not a real story. Those two are still getting divorced. It's just going to be in a year. Um, and, uh, you know, there's totally, re- I don't want to bash that kind of narrative. I love that kind of narrative, but that's not what this story was. This story again, because of the setting, because of the budgetary restrictions, because of everything about the project, we knew we were talking about naturalism. We were talking about what real life experience feels like. And for us, that's the truth that like the changes that happen in your life are very small. And also they can happen at any point in your life. They're not just when you're 16 and your life changed or when you're 22 and your life changed. Also the Chloe's mother goes through, you know, a big step in her personality and she's in her forties, you know, so we never stop coming of age. Um, And that was another important thing for me to, to get across.
0: Yeah. She was a really uh, well-written character too. And I haven't talked about her a lot because the things I would talk about are more than the spoiler centric, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very well put together film and something you just said, uh, made me think of uh, when we had um, Michael McElhatton, who played uh, Bruce Bolton, when we had him on, we were talking about—we uh, did briefly talk about Justice League, but also in the reality that um, film— like, the circumstances that films get made are these giant, moving pictures, like— you could have a, a TV show that turned out way differently because it just rained constantly and they had to modify on the fly. And with this film, uh, you, you talk about on your website having to, uh, you know, you had you had some health problems that really affected the the uh, uh, production, all of that, and a screenwriter, a director, having to juggle all the fact that you've got this film you're trying to make and all these other circumstances. I mean, it must just... It, it, it's, it, trying to hold it all together is, it sounds very, uh, very challenging and impressive that you were able to kind of put all of this together.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It was a, uh, yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure I've said this 7 million times in all mediums. I, I had open heart surgery in the middle of, in the middle of filming. Um, we had, taken a break and we were supposed to come back. We shot half the film in August. We're supposed to shoot the second half in October. And in September it was discovered that I had a genetic heart defect and I needed to have like a, like a 10, 12 hour surgery to fix that. Um, so it was a long recovery period and the second half of our movie got put off for a while, but it was, you know, the movie is all about capacity. It's a, it's about exploring your capacity. So getting to go through something that expanded mine was it, it honestly, I know this sounds insane, but it it honestly felt like a gift at the time. It felt like, you know, maybe I'm telling the right story from an, a real place in my heart and my creativity for me at this time to be talking about this already in my work and then also get to go through the challenge. I, I think it made me a better director for the second half of the film, for sure.
0: You know, I—I I mean, I—I've heard you talk about it in the past. I—I I did not, while watching that, make that like connection at all. That there was a uh, big uh, that that you've, you that you had big life changing thing happened in between making part one and part two. So the flow of that uh, very, very, very impressive. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, that, that was a really, really good job. Uh, I, yeah, that's. It's so, it's so remarkable just like to think about how I had manuscripts that I paused and then transitioned and came back and I'm like, what the fuck's this thing? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I tend to be a theme writer. I I tend to really pick an idea and and integrate my entire life and work into it for a time. And so this, this all worked out beautifully. This was a perfect, if I had had to go through like a divorce or something, it might have been different, but, but surgery, perfect, perfect for my metaphor at the moment. (laughs)
0: So I know um, long-time listeners have been uh, requesting – the number one request I get in my inbox is do more Disneyland episodes. And with COVID, I'm definitely not going to do any of those because it's depressing the parks. Although I guess it's real. I'm not going there anytime soon. I know that you're a big Disneyland fan. Uh, what's your favorite ride?
1: Oh, God. That's such a difficult question. It's such a diff- It it changes. I would say Space Mountain is most consistently my favorite.
0: Hmm. That's a good choice.
1: I just – I love – I, I love the music. I love the star field. There's something about uh, Tomorrowland at night that is such a magical area for me. I feel very inspired over there. And and I just love standing in front of Space Mountain listening to the the, for the fun space music.
0: You wish they would bring the People Mover back?
1: <laughs> Do I, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. If only. I. The first time I went to Disneyland, they had just opened the Rocket Rods. I, w- I was like 17 and I went with like a choir trip. Uh, And so I got to go on that once. But, oh, man, the people mover sounded so much cooler. Bring it back.
0: The derelict rail, I could not believe the derelict rails are still, they're still there? Still there.
1: Still rotting
0: away. Yeah, I I didn't mean to totally go uh, off topic. People, honestly, they're just like, please do more Disneyland. Oh, I will uh, talk about Disneyland all day. We should have just done that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be sure to hype that in the uh, episode description. What we were talking about, I looked through old tweets. Um, I When when we had done our Mr. Toad episode, which is very popular, uh, you had pointed out kind of how fun the, the Fantasyland rides are. And now it had happened pre-COVID. I, I, I don't – I haven't got – I follow the Mickey blogs pretty – pretty closely as a uh what they would call legacy ap now which is just a bullshit term for yeah my, my, my <laughs> for kicked thing. out of the program yeah yeah they threw threw me out i mean the only reason i'm still in long beach is because it's a nice crisp half hour drive there um they uh they're screwing up uh, snow white scary adventures it's now <sighs> infuriating infuriating what are they doing They're taking the fear out of it. I think fear is really, if you're talking about a children's ride, like, and Disney's good at that, putting the wrath of God into people. Your parent will die in this movie, like, practically every time. And they're, like, I've seen with Snow White's Scary Adventures, I've seen kids clinging to their parents' legs, don't make me go on this ride. And I think, you know, Walt Disney is up in wherever he is, he's smiling. Yeah. I mean, what are you
1: going to do? Turn Monstro into a happy little dolphin over on the storybook, right? Like, I mean, come on. Disney has always been about the range of human emotion, and it's just, oh, it makes me so angry. It's just going to be all cherry blossoms and bullshit now.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the second they get rid of Mr. Toad, I'm out of, I don't think. Yeah,
1: the the hell section of that ride, that's got to be on its last legs.
0: That is actually, as somebody who's done a historical dive into all of hell, it's like, I think they've even, I mean, I think it, they've made it more aggressive since, uh, since like the 1980s. Yeah. That's, uh, oh boy. That's <laughs> Disneyland. I'm glad we got to mention that because, uh, God, people, people really want more Disneyland content and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to want to. Do that kind of stuff, yeah it's been a downer at the last year for sure but I mean that's the power of film more time to watch movies you can't go you know you can't go get dole whip I uh, I guess you can
1: there you so, go instead of getting dole whip watch what lies west on VOD on May 11th
0: <laughs> that you know that's that's probably one of the best plugs I've heard anyone do <laughs> on this well like I was really excited to have you on because uh Most of the time when we have filmmakers on, it's almost always documentary. And it's not just because those are the ones I get pitched, but because like when you're trying to do an episode, it's often much easier to talk about a documentary because you can talk about the ideas presented. And what lies west is kind of falls under that category. Like it's it's not like it's not like we're having a director who did like an action thriller and we're like, Well, let's talk about this part and you're trying to pitch a movie that nobody's seen. You're talking about it for an hour. The themes that you present in what lies west are very uh they're very relatable as somebody who's kind of like getting out of the age that nicolette was at i'm like okay this story told exactly it captured the zeitgeist of this very shitty area era of people's 20s when you have freedom but you have you don't really have freedom because you're at you're at the you're at the mercy of everybody else in your life
1: yeah. Yeah. That, I remember that era very well when I was just kind of wandering and, and I think it's extending longer and longer into your twenties at this point, but, but, uh, it was definitely something I hoped to capture authentically. So I'm really glad, glad to hear that resonated. Well,
0: yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's a point where I wanted to scream at the TV. They're talking about compensation for, for Nicolette and the, the, the parent, uh, it, the mother is just basically like well I'll pay you at the end of the summer and you want to scream like what the fuck is this no 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 and yet at the same time you're Nicolette in that position, of course you're going to say
1: Yeah, it. it's your mom's friend. You're not going to be like, oh, no, pay me. Like, it's not, and it's not Twitter. There's, <laughs> you're, you're faced with direct confrontation and it's scary from an older person, even when you're that age. I, yeah, I've had a few people question that that particular moment of being like, well, shouldn't she say no, pay me right now? And it's like, yeah, you be 22 and try that. I I don't think most people would be able to do it, especially in a situation where you're being kind of like, nicely explained to why this is better. Um, I, I think it's it's a function of particularly women's insecurity a lot of time to be like, oh, yeah, okay, of course, you know, because you don't want to upset anybody. That That decision always made perfect sense to me. <laughs>
0: Well I think that's kind of what also what, what I like about uh you know following you and following your career and following your tweets. I mean you're pretty you're pretty honest about the state of the film filmmaking industry right now and you know there's been a glorification of of people who like to throw temper, temper tantrums on set or act like they're too cool for school. And, like, what's the point of the past couple of years if we can acknowledge that, like, nobody is really too cool for school?
1: No, absolutely not. The the over-glorification of particularly directors drives me bananas. I think it is detrimental to the creation of good art on every level. It's demeaning to everybody else on set. (laughs) I was not popular in grad school with this opinion, if you could guess.
0: It's important. I mean, it really is because you you can't change your culture if you're like begging to begging the cool person at the table to be a part of it. You got to acknowledge that the emperor is not wearing clothes.
1: Yeah. and, And I mean, it was it was part of the honor of getting to direct a project like this was this was my first feature directing. This was one of my first times directing at all. And that meant that everybody on the set, all these amazing Camera people and my DP and my editor had way more experience than me. So what kind of moron would I be if I was like, "No, everyone listen to me. I have the answers." Like getting to take advantage of everybody's creativity and and let them express their own art in their way. I think is a sign of a confident director. You know, I, I don't think it's a weak decision um but yeah Yeah. don't don't try to convince uh don't try to convince anybody at film school of that opinion
0: so uh, as as we we start to wrap up i realized there was a funny story i was going to tell about uh sort of when i first discovered you that i was going to tell the beginning but I tend to like to go straight into a film when we record. So that's just kind of uh, the way it goes. But um, the first thing that really drew me to Jessica Ellis, whenever people ask me, I'm from the East Coast, Connecticut, just outside New York City, people ask me, you know, do you love L.A.? Do you think you'd move? What's the big thing you'd move uh, that would get you to move back home? And I always point out that L.A. is the worst place in the world to try and get a sandwich.
1: It is. The, it it is I I mean I think like there there's obviously some like great bon me and stuff like that like but like if you want an Italian deli sandwich drive to San Francisco it's not happening here
0: yeah we in Long Beach uh, if you drive around some of the more industrial areas you can find those Italian delis and like they're I'm sitting there like thinking like why isn't this place downtown why is this only catering to construction workers and like when I was in Boston or like it was just so easy you you have five different delis. And uh, Jessica had made a tweet about sandwiches, and I saw it. and I'm like, "Oh my God, somebody's speaking to me." And then, as a result of commenting, a uh, the daughter of a friend of my mother, a childhood friend of my mother and my aunt saw my tweet. I guess she'd followed me on Facebook or something. but we reconnected because of a Jessica Ellis sandwich tweet. Oh,
1: that's so nice to hear! Oh, that makes me happy. See, it's things like that that make Twitter <laughs> worth, that make Twitter worth sticking around for. As you do create little communities on there through through just talking, and I, I love that. That's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's uh, there are there are far dumber connections out there than that. It's it's an important important problem. We have great food trucks in LA. with a diverse city. Lots of great places to eat you want just like a turkey sandwich on a hard roll, you're often very much shit out of luck. So that's, uh, you know. Yeah.
1: These, I have I never once that. seen a Dutch crunch roll in this, this city, and I feel that that should be illegal.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, to not, I mean, we could have just been a podcast talking about Disneyland and sandwiches. But
1: <laughs> we could do way. that. I can come back if you want to talk <laughs> Disneyland and sandwiches. I'm all
0: over that. <laughs> Our regular Disneyland co hosts, like the, I, we've done two Disneyland uh, podcasts in the pandemic and they've both been like news oriented when Splash Mountain, uh, when Splash Mountain was changed and then uh, when they canceled the APs. And like I'm sitting there being like, okay, there's a huge audience who wants to listen to these. What can you do? What can you do? You can't talk about the happiest place on earth when nobody's allowed inside. And, uh, but, but, you know, I don't spend all day my primary i'd like to just be a disney no i wouldn't just like to be a disney <laughs> it's important to be uh, film film you know having seen thousands of films i like to watch a lot of old films it's always good when a new movie can come out and impress you with just the craftsmanship the quality of the script and uh two really really great lead performances so what lies west uh for our Senate file listeners uh definitely definitely check it out it's a great film
1: Thank you so much. i'm I'm so
0: excited to get it out in the world. And it has been so wonderful talking to you. And it's been such a long journey for you, like making like this is this is really the the powerful testament of of perseverance and filmmaking. You have been working on this film for a long time four years.
1: for it's actually not that long. it's It's been almost exactly four years now um and I, I have known indie films that have gone 10 so i, I right. feel lucky uh that we got it together that fast
0: but yeah you it's been a while the world has changed multiple times many 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 we lived through trump you uh you you wrote a script you uh saw this to a conclusion now it's coming out uh that's such like uh, in this era of instant gratification what you've been able to do so impressive congratulations thank you so much thank you very much and uh everybody i have in the audio in the description you probably already checked it out uh links uh for you can check out the film jessica's social media all of that it's all there you have an hour in have almost certainly already read all of that already uh anyway jessica thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me this is wonderful and to our listeners thanks much and we will see you next time